joining us for another intriguing edition of the Stack Pack. Perhaps you can help solve a mystery. What's up, guys? Season 5, episode 23, where it's all three of us, Dan and Eli. Uh, Eli's in Dallas, Dan's, I don't know. <laughs> Hollywood, He's baby. in Hollywood. He's in Hollywood, Hollywood, Florida, that is. Hollywood, Florida. <laughs> He's going to go get eaten by a gator, possibly fall into a... Sinkhole? Sinkhole. Or he's going to get bitched at by a Republican. Or all three. I saw a video of a guy catching a small gator in his uh, recycling bin. Oh, yeah, I saw that too. Oh, shit. Oh, he might. You know what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? I'm going to fall into a sinkhole and get bitched at by a Republican gator. Oh. That's on bath salts. (laughs) Wow. And he Uh, married his cousin. Um, Yeah. Uh, we we got this is a big ass episode. Um, I say we just jump in. Um, yeah, because we were kind of talking. We were gonna kind of get into it before we even started recording. We're like, we should probably record all this. Yeah, uh, but we're not even okay. So the first case we're talking about is this fucking crazy uh, plane that exploded. I have questions. These men were members of the elite 101st Airborne Unit of the United States Army. December 12th, 1985, they were among 248 young soldiers cut down in their prime. All killed instantly when their transport plane crashed at Gander, Newfoundland. It was the worst single air disaster in U.S. military history. Officially, the crash was written off to ice on the plane's wings. But many of the young men's families, as well as several key investigators, believe that the true cause of the Gander tragedy remains an unsolved mystery. Um... And they were apparently assigned to a peacekeeping force in the Sinai Peninsula. Peninsula. Of course, we all know that that's what the army is best at doing, right? Uh, uh, keeping peace. Yeah. Quote quotation. <laughs> before the before the crash, the previous day, the plane leaves Cairo, headed it's headed towards Kentucky, actually, um, and uh, they stopped over in Gander. That was the faithful stopover in Gander, and then they right after take a Gander at Gander, and right after they take that was like that's where they had to stop in between because you know they crossed the ocean and stuff. It, it was part of a three leg flight. Yeah, they had to refuel. Yeah, they feel they refueled in what like Germany or something like that. Stretch their legs. No, they refuel. They refuel at the airfield in Newfoundland, or maybe there was one before that, but it, I don't know. It didn't say. Yeah, it, it was part of a three leg tour. So the or, crack- sorry, not a three leg tour, a three leg, you know, whatever. They say the air crash was the single worst air disaster in U.S. military history. Um, it occurred just three miles from the Gander control tower, and the wreckage was apparently spread across uh, 1,300 feet. Uh, 1,300 feet long, 130 feet wide. And this happened at takeoff. Yeah, like they, they crashed like three miles from the airport. Yeah. So immediately a dude calls and he says he represents a terrorist organization, um, uh, an, an Islamic Jihad terrorist organization. And they called the U.S. consulate in Algeria and said that they were responsible. But the U.S. just seems to very, I don't know. They're just like, oh, the U.S. says, you know, they've discounted any possibility that they had anything to do with it, which is kind of weird. You know, like what would make them think that they for sure didn't do it? You know, rather than maybe they did, but we can't prove it. Seems like they might have a better theory or something, or they might be responsible for it. I don't know. Um, So, a Canadian Board of Inquiry states that there's ice on the wings, but uh, 
Um, four of the board members also dissented this uh, after, claiming that the, there was no evidence that there was any ice on the wings. So that's weird. <laughs> One person believed that there was evidence of an explosion on the plane. An expert? Because I heard them, you know, give a lot of details about. They, they're just vague. They're, there's like a Canadian group of members that, and they talk about the members. Like some members thought this. Some members think that there was explosions on the inside. I don't know who these members are. I, I'm sure they were chosen and vetted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they were just, part of the uh, Transportation Safety Board of Canada. Members. So one of the talking heads talks about something that confused me. I, I, I don't understand the point he was trying to make. He mentioned the the because it was go- taking off, it had the – tank was full of fuel, jet fuel. I don't understand if he was making a point that it shouldn't have crashed or it shouldn't have exploded like that. He mentioned yeah. something how the, the jet fuel hadn't bit, had an opportunity to like mix with air, which would have caused an explosion. Well, basically what he was trying to say is because, you know, fuel itself isn't explosive or combustible. Right. It's the vapor. Yes. So, you know, if a fuel tank is full, there's no room inside the fuel tank for vapor to start to accumulate. Okay. Whereas if the tank was half full, you know, it'd be half filled with, you know, jet fuel and then half fuel of jet fuel vapor. I, okay, I get Which I get it makes now. it, yeah. But that's kind of fucking bullshit because, you know, at the end of the day, if it gets hot enough, it will ignite. It's right. It's fucking flammable. <laughs> And, and and usually when um, there's crashes during takeoff, they're they're you know survivable. Yeah. But this one exploded, um, and uh, yeah, it was just straight up exploded. And then they mentioned that there was also um, some cargo possible on the plane. Like they mentioned these crates. That oh yeah, the, oh that yeah, dude's the description. He's like, well, there were boxes and. And missiles. And, Have you guys seen Indiana Jones? Little, li- you know little, li- little, little <laughs> tins that looked like ammo cans that were ammo cans, but I wasn't sure if they were ammo cans, but they were ammo cans. Yeah. The U.S. <laughs> government says, uh, claims that there's no evidence of any onboard explosion, but I mean, yeah, like planes just don't explode like that usually. Um, and they also said that there was no, uh, they also denied any explosives or ammunition that were, uh, people thought there was some, maybe somebody stored some explosions, explosives that were not approved or something like that. I mean, they were um, coming back from overseas. They could have, they could very well had, you know, weapons on board, like actual firearms, but as for ammunition it, itself, I don't think. So yeah. I could, I could totally foresee uh, that, you know, them discovering you know, wooden boxes that were probably filled with, you know, firearms. Yeah, but the government denies all that shit. They yeah, there was no weapons. No weapons. They there, said was, no there was weapons. nothing like that there. Um, so eyewitness reports from Cairo seem to contradict the government's statement. The 101st Airborne, mem- Airborne members waited for eight hours before they were transported to a larger plane. Before. Uh, the buff, the duffel bags of 41 of the soldiers were just left behind on the tarmac. So no room, so room could be made for these mysterious large wooden boxes. So a bunch of them just left their shit there. Um, some, yeah, uh, uh, what people speculate is they might be, uh, 
highly classified weapons that um, you know they that nobody had the clearance to even know about. So they're just like, all right, you got to leave your shit here, and we're not going to tell you why. Yeah, they're um, like smuggling all these like nuclear power weapons. They're, they're smuggling plutonium. The the rescue worker that talks about the boxes is Harvey Day, and he says that. Uh, there was five wooden boxes and the officials prevented him from looking closer. And he seemed pretty persistent. They're like, we're going to have to arrest you. Go oh, away. Yeah. Um, but he. Nothing to see here. <laughs> he said he saw weapons, missiles, and ammunition boxes, which I don't know. Doesn't seem that uh, out of the ordinary. It is just kind of weird that they had to leave their shit there. But um, Harvey also remembers that there was a, oh yeah, a super hot spot in the crash that like wouldn't get put out by fire. But I mean, we're talking about jet fuel now. Like I'm pretty sure it takes a little bit more than just like, you know, it takes a while putting water on that shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that spot that could have kept flaring up could have been, you know, like a puddle of jet fuel. And if the surrounding area is hot enough to be the flashpoint for the jet fuel, as soon as you remove the water, it's going to reignite. Several workers that helped with the cleanup started reporting health problems, um, symptoms that were pretty similar to radiation poisoning. One unnamed source says the government sealed records on the crash for seven years. And, um, of course, they've all denied this shit. They also said they denied that any records exist at all, actually. Department of Defense and National Transportation Safety Board. They also mentioned that... uh what was odd and peculiar was that they cleared the they were the the area that the plane crash happened that was cleared like they had to like demolish like the trees and they said that it was due to like looters like they they wanted to discourage looters that that's what they, they said didn't, they didn't want souvenir hunters S- to souvenir go out hunters just, that's what it was yeah fucking souvenir hunter that's so yeah it's like really <laughs> but I did find it odd I'm like okay um, what are they hiding here. But I mean, th- it kind of makes sense because, like, look at a uh, look at the parents of one of the soldiers. Like, you know, they flat out asked the government, like, "Hey, can we have like pieces of it?" Oh, so, yeah. So you know, so it's like, no, we don't want you guys going out there and getting pieces of the aircraft or anything, yeah. body parts, bones. Well, um. So in the in the early eighties, the government began illegally selling arms to Iran in a covert operation known as the Iran-Contra, um, which is a pretty po- – I mean, people know about that. I didn't know the speci- I didn't know that's what that right. meant. That's crazy. Um, but the operation was done in an attempt to free some hostage from the Middle East. So it's kind of, you know, shady on one thing and good on the other side, which is kind of pretty much the military and government <laughs> yeah. in a nutshell, right? Yeah, that's – you're not wrong there. You got to do a bunch of shady shit to do just a little good. Yeah. And so that could have, you know, that could have led to people believing that somebody, that a bunch of, uh, that a plane full of soldiers would might, might be a target. Um, apparently at the time of the crash, the, uh, um, the, that operation, either Iran Contra was in the jeopardy. And uh, a few days before the crash, um, Colonel Oliver North warned that the U.S. was going to experience a bunch of new terrorism. And they say that the U.S. government officials did begin to act strangely after the crash. And for unknown reasons, um, the the whole crash site was bulldozed. And they completely, yeah, like we said, we already said, they destroyed the plane. 
which is super rare. They say they usually completely put the thing back together to see what happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, totally. In most all cases. Like, for example, are you guys familiar of TWA Flight 800? Yeah, they just barely, they just barely destroyed that aircraft. Yeah, and that had happened, what, almost, like, that, that happened like a decade ago. No, more. That was like 1990, 92, really? 93. Yeah, yeah. TWA like hasn't years. existed in, like, fucking ever. It was really that long ago? <laughs> I don't know why I thought it was earlier. Or later. I don't know. 1996. Yeah, that sounds about right. So I, I was thinking more like 2000. So yeah, 1996. So think about that. Like a civilian aircraft that crashed. What, 15 was years? Saved for that, was saved for that long, from 1996 to now. And this was a military yeah. aircraft crash. And they're just like, mm, yeah, throw it in the dump. It's all good. Yeah. Oh, and I said 15 years. Um, 20, 25 years, right? That's 25 years. Uh, thank, thank God the, math isn't part of your job. Oh, it is. And, That's what's and thank scary. God your job isn't part of like making sure helicopters hey, don't fucking crash. I'm not crash. at work right now, man. I'm chilling with a whiskey. I've been off for a couple hours. I'm relaxed. I don't so, want to say uh, So basically, basically that comment just basically proves we cannot trust you in like aviation expertise. Oh, I will tell case, you right huh? now. Do not get an helicopter. Just don't do it. <laughs> James Douglas Phillips was the soldier um, whose parents um, started started like the organization to try to find out what happened. The group is called Families for the Truth About Gander, and they're the ones who called called the government and got pieces of the aircraft. Um, they were really surprised when they actually got it, uh, but they said that the um, the they had an expert look at it, and the pieces were outward and the edges were puckered and this indicated that the blast occurred occurred inside the plane um so that's pretty interesting that this dad did more investigation well publicly than the government james phillips dad thinks that the explosion occurred in the air and then um the plane broke apart and crashed um, the autopsies also determined the of all the soldiers that they definitely inhaled a bunch of carbon monoxide Hmm. <clears throat> meaning that the fire or explosion was inside on the plane before that, that, it crashed. Yeah. All that means is that they didn't die instantly. You know, they could have been alive when the plane fucking made contact and ignited and then died from carbon monoxide poisoning before they could, you know, get out. How lethal? I mean, I know, I know carbon monoxide is very lethal. Well, if it immediately, but if it immediately explodes, they all just die instantly. Yeah. And also, not necessarily, like, so like, it like maybe at the center of the blast, but like, you know. No, because carbon monoxide, like, think about it. When carbon monoxide is like in a garage, you can open the garage door and it dissipates, right? It's only, it's only when it's enclosed. So, like, if they're, if they, the, but you also got to also got to think like we're we're thinking like you know the plane just fell straight down to the earth and exploded exploded like at a single point like it crashed on a mountainside you know it probably hit a couple of trees before it finally made final like right. impact. We got the bulldozer, so, you know. Thing. So you know there there could have been a possibility that you know the first point of impact was like on a tree line which ignited a fire inside the aircraft. And then the final impact is when it explodes. It could have leaked and, jet know, fuel. 
Yeah. And then it would have hit like there's air. a lot there's a lot of variables like I mean the flight the de- the flight Many recorder like soldiers. the red the, or the or the flight recorder on this on oh, this yeah. aircraft was kind of shitty. All all it could measure was like airspeed, um, throttle pull, and and something else like the the cockpit didn't have a vo- well it had a voice recorder but like it didn't work. It says it says that many soldiers had significant some significant amounts of carbon mm. monoxide in their bodies. So I don't know. It's not specific enough to have. A- Look, <laughs> we're three guys that have day jobs that sit and drink whiskey and talk about true crime. I we're not experts in this. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I'm not an aviation expert, but I, I was reading on the Wikipedia how like like how they just they go into more details about like the crash and from what the wikipedia says it's it's a little bit more believable that it was just you know pilot miscalculating uh the weight of the aircraft on takeoff because like the witnesses say it struggled like as it took off it struggled to gain altitude before it crashed well that could be a lot of things that could be the 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 flight like lift mechanism that could be just something stuck a malfunction where it just won't go because when, when you get on an airplane, the, the wings shift. And so that way it can go up. And if that stuff's stuck, you're, you're not going anywhere. You you might pull up, pull up and you're, you're staying down. And, uh, so in 1990, a congressional hearing on the crash is convened in Washington. And while they do kind of, talk shit about the government's shitty investigation. They don't recommend doing a new reinvestigation no, or anything. Weird. And the families are still upset. Um, as far as suspects, there's the, the Islamic Jihad terrorist organization that claimed responsibility, but like military, like, nope, nope, it wasn't them, which is fine. Some believe that an accidental explosion occurred on board due to illegal explosives being stored on the plane. I don't know. Oh, Ooh. Maybe something flammable was in the wrong spot. Um, yeah, that's about it for this one. Eli, I got um, a question for you. What, yeah. what is KIAS? K-I-S. Is that like known airspeed? I don't know what that is. It's an aviation term. Oh, known I've indicated airspeed. So what I do, I do with spare parts. We build our parts, and if somebody needs like a panel and shit, I have to research it and find out what panel was in them. I don't like, I'm not a, I, I do want to get my pilot's license, but I don't know. So do I, is. so do I. I think we should all uh, get our pilot's license. Oh, fuck yeah. Uh, 10 gonna, grand, let's do it. Um, I was going to tell you, uh, you want to hear a sad story? One of the <laughs> things that I read, uh, I don't know if you guys read it too. Um, the, one of the mother, the, sorry, one of the spouses of the, like a sergeant that was on the plane, she found out that the plane had crashed from her two-year-old. And the story that I read says that she showed her son where daddy was. She's like, oh, daddy's here right now. She showed him a map of where they were and where they were taking off. And she's like, oh, he's going to be here in three hours. Because he had talked to her on the phone. He's like, hey, I'm going to be home in three and a half hours. Like, make dinner or whatever. So she's getting dinner ready. And then the two-year-old comes into the kitchen as she's in the kitchen and says, daddy's dead. And she goes, what? Two-year-old. He shows her... He walked her to the living room. The TV is on the news, and they showed up the the map 
the same map that she had showed her son where daddy is. They said the plane crashed and he's like, oh, my dad, my mom just showed me that's my dad's plane. And that's how she yeah, found out. Oh man, that's that's so heartbreaking. Isn't that sad? Terrible. That is it's heartbreaking. So that is just like Oh God. She said um, it was like surreal. Of, it was like uh, a heartbreaker. That sucks. Speaking of heartbreaking, let's talk about this uh lost loves, <laughs> I guess. Um uh, Peggy Lloyd is the daughter of Lee Curly Lloyd. During the Second World War, more than 16 million American men and women were called upon to serve the country. Inevitably, many families would not survive the stress of wartime separation. 28-year-old Lee Curly Lloyd was one of those whose marriage was a casualty of the war effort. He was serving his tour of duty when his wife divorced him and placed Peggy her sister, and her brother, Arthur, in a boarding home in Oroville, California. So, damn, that's crazy. She divorced him while he was out yeah. on duty. So in hey, 44, women have needs, she returned. Well, I mean, I understand that. I just thought I th- that's weird, especially for that time. Like, uh, he must have sucked. Uh, in oh. 1944, she returned with her second husband to take just the girls and and leaving Arthur behind as some sort of revenge on Curly, which is sadistic. Uh, and both of these up. parents deserve to be in jail. I mean, the guy got dumped while but he was he in the army. But he took his kid. Like, we'll, we'll get to it. This is the problem that I have with the dad. But yeah, you're, yeah. you're 100% correct. I wasn't giving you enough thought to the mom. Fuck that mom. The, I, I think they're, yeah, I don't know. They're I both think the mom rotten. is definitely, um, like you pointed out, a little bit more rotten. Uh, in 1944, okay, yeah. So, so she just takes the girls, asshole. Um, and Pe- so Peggy's one of the girls. She grows up uh, being told that Curly abandoned her family, and when she asks about ask questions about Arthur, her mother would just change the subject, and she sometimes wondered if she, this brother she remembers even existed. So, um, cunt, a couple years later, when she's a little Sorry. bit older, in 19 in 1948, she's looking through boxes in the attic when she finds a picture of a little boy. Um, her mother confronts her and quickly takes a picture of away, away with like no gained information other than her being like, okay. And then she says she never saw that picture again. Just, yep. Um, at the age of nine, Peggy gets sent to a foster home and age 17, she marries and has four daughters. All a busy year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she, I guess she gets married at 17. I guess the daughters come after. Um, but who knows? Uh, over the years, she remains in contact with her mother, even though she's an asshole. That's, that's what uh, – yeah, it's verbatim. Verbatim. Um, in 83, she presents her mom with this, like, picture-filled, like, geneolo- gene- genealogical chart that shows, like, you know, the family tree going back years. And she kind of uses it as, like, a – as like a hey, so what about that fucking dad and brother I have somewhere? <laughs> But she's not. Yeah, as, remember uh, that, mom? Polite. You fucking bitch. She's not as, she's not not as eloquent as I am. But yeah. Uh, pretty pretty yeah, pretty um, slidey. Use a scrapbook to to guilt your mom into telling you where your dad is. Though. Yeah. Hey, it worked. I know. <laughs> and she played herself. <laughs> it worked. Um. So she yeah uh, she gives in and the only information she'll give is that her dad is from uh, Lindsay, Oklahoma. 
So that's where she starts. The next day she puts an ad in the paper looking for information on Curly and her brother Arthur. And nine days later she receives a letter from her aunt Velma, who is married to Curly's brother. And as she's like calling him on the phone, she's like, wait, I have a letter from my actual dad. And then um, she gets in contact with her dad, uh, calls him, and she, the dad's just super happy to see her, to hear from her. <laughs> so Peggy learns what happens to her dad. Her dad, after he gets out of the army, becomes a circus clown. Um, and apparently he was a circus clown before the war as well. And he worked for Ringling Brothers and other circuses. In 55, he performed a just five miles away from their home. But um, according to the dad, he had no idea where his wife and kids were. So she finally reunites with her, with her dad and stuff and they're getting along, but they don't know what happened to the son because Curly had Arthur on the circus with him. Like he was a child just like living on the road with his dad, uh, the clown. And, and after a while, and apparently he grew up in the circus too, but, a bunch of people got at him and convinced him that this was no place Sounds for like a, a boy. fucking journey song. <laughs> which is which is shocking because his friends must have been circus folk and uh Carnies. And he grew ex- up in the circus. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and like the brief stint I did with the circus, like there were kids fucking everywhere. Like really? at a school. There was kids fucking well, everywhere? Not- <laughs> That's disgusting. Not literally. God man. damn. Like I mean, just nine I mean, the circus is getting in on. Jesus, what the fuck is up with the circus? <laughs> that, that's why it's, I thought that was Hollywood. That, just kidding. Like the circus had the the circus literally had its own school. It was it was a trip. Well, yeah, but that was like in two thousand five, not the fifties. He leaves Arthur with Kes at a Catholic church, and they find him a home. So he has no contact with Arthur. Oh yeah, until yeah. years later yeah, when, when a, he just sends a couple that's of letters. A better environment than a circus, a Catholic church, right? Right? So they say for four years this kid was traveling the circus, and then and then he goes. So fall of 1948, um, he's turned over to this Catholic organization for uh, to be adopted. And that's the last information. The only thing she knows is that he was in Colorado Springs for, for a little while in 1963 because he had sent Curly two letters, but he didn't include his name, his last name, or where he was specifically. And Peggy is still looking for him pretty much. She wants to find him. Um, I think the the weird, like, kind of middle, uh, like, happy ending is that she finds her dad. But uh, she, according to, you know, what we were able to find on the internet, she never finds her brother, Arthur. This, th- um, her brother never, her brother was ditched. He does not want anything to do with his family anymore. Probably. I mean, doesn't, but yeah, she doesn't have anything to do with that, but no, but that, <laughs> that whole memory thing. Yeah. Or maybe he was just, maybe he died and, you know, I think it's a little interesting that there was like nothing or maybe she got answers and just didn't do it as part of the show. Uh, maybe, and maybe they just didn't uh, open it up. They didn't investigate further on, and nobody ever asked any questions on the internet. So it's like, but after being left twice, first by the mom, second by the dad. 
Damn, he was double ditched. Yeah, dude. No, dude, imagine your fucking mom comes and just gets yeah, your that's sisters. Fuck that shit. 100%. So the next case is fucking crazy. Um, we're going to be talking about a cult that I had never heard of, the the DeCloud uh, religious cult. And we're going to specifically be talking about a lady named Julie Cooper and uh, um, what she fucking went through and how she escaped. Is this a crazy, wild Oh, it's wild crazy. Thing. 100%. Shortly before midnight on September 17, 1992, a young woman named Julie Cooper made an impassioned phone call, a cry for help to Tim Santee, a virtual stranger whom she had met only once when he repaired the satellite dish on the farm where she lived. When can you come pick me up? Uh, Nelson DeCloud is a former uh, police officer, then a current piece of fucking shit. Um, and he was a leader of a religious cult in Liberty, Missouri. Um, Stack mentions David Koresh at the beginning. He calls him David Koresh. Koresh. David Koresh. And he talks about the Branch Davidians and, you know, they're sort of similar but smaller. And um, and he talks, you know, he mentions, you know, how that ended very recently when this episode was aired in 1993. It happened not very long <laughs> before that. So DeCloud's father apparently creates this uh, uh, cult in 1968, and before uh, his dad Forrest dies in 88, Nelson Nelson ascends to the role of spiritual leader. So he moves his followers into an isolated farm in uh, Liberty, and all of the family members are encouraged to change their last names to his, DeCloud. Um and he thought he, they, the lady says he thought he was one of God's sons. Like he wasn't Jesus. He was just like Jesus's brother. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Julie Cooper was just six years old in the seventies when her family joined the cult. Um, as we find out, you know, he was a repulsive piece of shit and he wanted people to express their, express their devotion to him. In some pretty fucked up ways. Dude, yeah. Um, so, okay. So let's start talking about some fucked up shit now. Okay. Um, when she's 10 years old, she's alleged, her fir- she's allegedly forced to okay, yeah, watch trigger. the cloud have sex with a female <laughs> member. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. Hey, trigger warning, we're going to be talking about murder. Uh, we just made jokes about <laughs> child sex. Like, we were laughing about child sex five minutes ago. What do you... Trigger warning. Just kidding. No, yeah, this is uh, some pretty awful heinous <laughs> shit. So, when she was 10 years old, DeCloud allegedly forced her to watch him have sex with an adult family member uh, because uh, uh, she wouldn't have sex with him. She refused, so... I guess he was like, look how fun this is. That probably didn't work. Um, at the time, she was like a tiny child. And uh, um, and then they talk about uh, this really cold day. He takes her outside and forces her to stand alone in a field for like eight hours until he like finally comes and says and, – and until she's like basically ready to like give in and have sex with this old fucking man. 
So she stands out in the field until she freezes, and then she just reluctantly gives in to this piece of shit. Um, and then Julie also said that at that point, another member, like, stood up and was, you know, kind of stood up for her. It was like, this is fucked up. And then she was, like, publicly humiliated Dude, in front of terrible. everyone else. And I guess that means cutting yeah, her hair. They cut all her hair off. The reenactment was... It's really fucked up, but the reenactment was insanely silly. Like, she had this, like, crazy huge wig. And then when they show her after her all of her hair has been cut off, it's, like, it's kind of funny. And then he's clearly not really cutting her hair in the scene, but it's fine. It's a it's Unsolved Mysteries. It's still, it's super heinous. Um, for Julie. So, she... She uh, she thinks this is all her fault, you know. So she virtually becomes this sex prisoner for like most of her uh childhood, pretty much. And um, there's uh some other women too. A lot of other there's other girls and women that are also his frequent sex partners. When Julie's 15, this is when she tries to escape the first time. Um, she runs away, and her and DeCloud and some other members track her down really quick and uh she's forcibly taken back to the compound in handcuffs and that night he orders her to disrobe and then he beats her up severely and i think this is the scene where it's so fucked up uh what what does he say he's like oh he's like offer your shoes and then she he takes off she takes off her shoes and puts it in the fire and it's like offer your shirt now offer your pants like slowly making her burn her clothes yeah, but saying offer like you're offering it Ugh. to God, like uh, the shit people will do. Uh, by the way, have you seen Midnight Mass no, yet? No, I heard I heard it's good. This, yeah, it, it, it's is kind it of like it, it, there's a oh, it's beautiful and terrifying, and it, it's funny because there's there's some there's some Muslim faith in there. There's a lot of Catholic faith, a lot of Christian faith, and a lot of atheism. And they're all very nicely respected and like, like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. There, it, a lot of it is like, you feel like you're going to church, <laughs> like, cause there's a lot of talking, like that. but it's so, <laughs> no, trust, dude, it's a fucking masterpiece. It's a fucking masterpiece. Watch it. It's only seven okay. episodes. It's Mike Flanagan who did Haunting oh, of Hill well, House. Then, yeah, like, it's gotta be gorgeous. Dude. Yeah. It's beautifully shot. It's all of your favorite actors from all of his stuff. Fucking oh my god, Elliot! Uh, I can't wait to for Dan to get back so we can watch it again. So I can watch it again. Oh yeah, he's the dad. He's he's the older dad. Yeah, he's he's in all Mike Flanagan stuff. (laughs) And then his wife. He's truly the anti Rob Zombie because he 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 makes horror with characters that actually have depth and you like them. And he puts his wife in everything, but she's fantastic for a reason. (laughs) Unlike. Unlike uh, Sherry Moon Zombie, <laughs> but yeah, Midnight Mass. But you know, especially talking about religion and um, the things people will do in the name of uh, their religion, misguided or not. Uh, it's uh, yeah, and Midnight Mass is a really cool take on a dead horror on a horror genre that's been dead to death. But to even say what that genre would be would be mm. to spoil it. So just go and have a good time. Um, it's uh beautiful and heartbreaking. Uh <laughs> where was I? Okay. Yeah, so she escapes, she's forced to 
burn her clothes. It's awful. And then it's seven years until she has another chance to escape. Uh, now we're in fall of 92. She's a young woman. Um, DeCloud makes her contact a satellite repairman because I guess, you know, out there they need, they all, they have a satellite. So she calls this man named Tim Santee, who's a satellite repairman. And the two start talking for a couple of days and then, you know, setting up the appointment and kind of becoming friends. So one day he comes to the compound to fix satellite. And um, he says when he met her, he, he could tell there was something not quite right. It was a little off. And um, she saw Tim meet DeCloud. And when she noticed that he, Tim DeSanti didn't like realize that he was the leader or didn't realize how special important he was. She's, he was like, she was like, I think I can trust this guy because, you know, he knows. Yeah. She, she was like, he brushed him off, which meant like, he was like, yeah, because he's a repair guy. Like, yeah. That's, that's what repair guys do. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. He, is, he doesn't give a like, shit. Dude, like, I'm just here to fix your shit. I'm getting out of here. And like, I, I just want to go to lunch. Yeah, and then like, go to, this is getting a little churchy. You just called that lady sister Julie, you know? It's <laughs> <laughs> a little creepy. Um, yeah, so she she felt she could trust him. Um, a few days after, he, I guess they, they were talking on the phone a lot. And a few days after, he asked her out. And she says she can only go out him if she, if she sneaks out. And um, midnight, September 17th, 1992... Julie calls him in the middle of the night and says, pick me up. And he's like, what? Okay. Uh, 1.15 a.m. Uh, she meets him outside of the compound, picks him up, and they leave as quickly as possible. And I, I think the girl who plays Julie in the reenactment might be sort of like a – like she played Jerry Seinfeld's girlfriend. Or, I don't know. I feel like she like semi – She had man semi <laughs> A semi-successful actress. <laughs> Like, like she's been in things. Yeah. I, I could be wrong though. Anyway. Yeah. So they escape at that point. She tells Tim about all the sexual abuse and how she's held against her will and all this shit. And, um, you know, at dawn, the clouds already looking for Julie. Um, he and some other people pretending to be police officers go to Tim's address, but where they ended up was Tim's brother's house. And, you know, and they went in, and and this guy. What's weird is he was sleeping on a couch, like in his own house. It's kind of weird, but anyway, he he walks into the thing. He they walk into the house, and they ask where Julie is, and he's like, Julie. He's like, what the fuck? I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you're not cops. Get the hell out of here. And he like kind of picks up a bat and like chases oh, yeah. him can, out. Can we talk about like that reenactment where like when they wake him up and he's just like, who are you? And the guys just like, whoa. Well, uh, where, where, where oh, the cops? Oh. <laughs> like, yeah, it was kind of, it was like, it was like a, like a, like a, it was like a three stooges. Like, bit. I feel like I was watching, I was watching the new Only Murders in the Building and it was like Steve Martin and Martin Short and they were like, I don't know. I like that show, by the way. It's good. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Isn't it? It's a perfect mix of like a good kind of modern. I just like, like, and then just that. <sighs> And then just that silly Steve Martin comedy. Do you know what makes me that you love? What makes me what makes my heart happy is that Steve Martin and Martin Short are doing like comedy together again. I love yeah. it. Yeah, and the, like those scenes where it's this them two, and you're just like, this is people don't joke, people don't do comedy like like they don't joke around like this no. in modern movies. Like it's so it's so delightful. Did you see the new one that was completely silent the whole? 35 no, I haven't minutes? gotten there yet. 
The the newest jo- episode. Giles and I started. Oh, we, we're like on episode six. So the next day, um, the brother tells Tim about these people breaking into his home, and he and Julie realize that the cloud is you know trying to find her still. Um, and then they, that's when they contact the police and they report everything that DeCloud has done. And, um, uh, apparently the detec- detectives for years prior had been pretty suspicious about DeCloud and those religious people up there at that farm. And, um, of course she gives them the detailed account of her childhood in the cult and all the shit, all the abuse she suffered and stuff like that. But before even an arrest warrant could be issued, DeCloud gathered up all the women and children and several buses and they took the fuck off. And then a few days later, I guess the rest of the male members left. So I I guess we're assuming that he leaves with the women and children like the fucky coward that he is, right? Um, At that point, detectives believe that the group was still, you know, sticking together and – Julie's terrified out of her mind. Doesn't think she'll be safe until DeCloud is caught. And she's worried about her family who was still in the cult. This It's very interesting to me. Like those fucking parents, man, they don't mention anything about her parents, but she says her family's still yeah. in the cult. That's very, very much reminds me of like Scientology. And like, uh, did you ever watch those Leah Remini, Leah Remini shows on eight? No, it's sad. It's real sad, but there's a lot of stories like that. Like they, they manipulate, they use like older people or younger people. Like if you're an adult. Yeah. But in Scientology, like, are they like, were they like freaking raping Leah Remini's daughter uh, in front of her? I don't think they were doing that. Like what the I fuck? I think they just like, take your money. <laughs> yeah. I don't. It's crazy. I just don't understand what kind of parent would just be like, oh, yeah, this is Father, yeah. you know, this is Father dude, people just buy into some We're crazy shit, family. dude. Like, people are sick. Yeah, it's crazy how, like, the Bible is accepted, and then people can just, like, manipulate it into their oh, own Oh, yeah, evil. they just you want know, to be in like, control. It's like, the Bible is accepted, it's it's accepted religion, Christianity, cool, this is a thing. But then people, like, twist yeah, it into their own, like, like, creepy, like, for their own measures it's and their weird, own man. People want to follow other people. It's very, very that weird. That is weird. That is weird. I don't want to follow, follow anybody either. You know, I will follow you gonna, into the I dark. Was, I will. I will only follow <laughs> about to say that. Um, Ben Gibbard. <laughs> Death cab himself. And I'm going to follow him into the dark. I was going to say you guys. I'd follow you guys to the dark. The the titular cutie in Death Cab for Cutie, Ben Gibbard. <laughs> Is he? He kind of just looks like an English professor. I don't know. He's yeah. cool. I like <laughs> the, the The elbow pads on the blazer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Always. Check. Go to bed. <laughs> Update. This fucker gets caught. It, not that far from here, actually. Um. In Where San, does he get caught at? San Angelo. Oh, really? Yeah. He, um, people reported seeing his wife. Fuck. That's also weird. He actually had just like a normal wife as well. He, yeah. He's like, I'm going to rape all the women in my congregation. Although yeah. I'm going to have a wife. And children. So, yeah. Somebody spotted uh, San um, DeCloud's wife in San Angelo. And apparently the cult had settled into a farmhouse in the area. And when the... The cops got there, arrived at the place. 
Apparently, DeCloud kicks out a screen um, on the on an upper bedroom window and tries to flee. But he's an old piece of shit, so it doesn't really work. Um, he's quickly arrested <laughs> after a brief struggle. The the lady, it's funny. The FBI lady was ex- was explaining, and she's like, she was like giggling. She's like, oh, there was just so many law enforcement. It was it wasn't long. He's kind of have a chance. He he's extradited from Texas to Missouri. He stands trial for all the criminal counts, including forcible rape and sodomy. And um, since the arrest, a bunch of other members have started cooperating with some of these awful things that happened to Julie. Um, thus, you know, fucking up his uh, shit way more. And good in September of 94, Nelson McLeod is convicted on all four counts, all four criminal counts. Um, the judge followed the jury's recommendation and gave him uh, 220 years in prison. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. And apparently after all those years, DeCloud refused to appeal the case once, and he died of natural causes in 2014. Dude, he got off too easy. He only spent 20 years, I think, in prison. That guy, that guy got off way too easy. Yeah. I mean, he died a fucking old, dumb piece of shit in a prison cell, but yeah, but that's still to too suffer. good for him. Yeah. Yeah. They should have like fucking. They should have like gave him a knife, pointed a gun at his head, and be like, "Offer your fucking nuts. Yeah, Throw them in the fire. Nuts. Offer your nuts, you piece of shit. Let's see if you're. Offer no, your cock know. and balls. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they should have torn it off anyway. He's a heinous fucking piece of shit. Like just Crime to use the punishment. to use the loving grace of God. Uh, I'm an atheist, so if I, that sounded sarcastic, sorry. <laughs> no, um, it actually did. But, but but to use the grace of God, you know, all that nice stuff to like rape children, essentially. Yeah, that's like, fucking. That's fucked. Heinous. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's. I mean, a, a, not a happy ending, but at least he got caught in is a fucking. Rotting in the depths of hell. Oh, hopefully, oh, yeah. hopefully, there's like a smaller confined space in hell they could keep him for those twenty, so he could serve the two hundred twenty-two years out at least, right? Oh, they're probably gonna burn and rape him <laughs> there. I don't know. Don't you feel like if hell is a real thing, that everyone's just like, "Oh, you did that, sick, good job." Like we're all <laughs> we're all evil hell people. Like they're like listening to just metal it's like oh, how much oh, what did you do damn that's fucking heinous man you, you're immediately at like tier three it's it's just like vegas in in the stand like just strippers i don't know if you've ever read the stand you think just, you get rewarded it's vegas in the stand you get people get rewarded for being more evil i don't know i mean it, it would make sense i don't know I, mean, I guess i'm kind of using at like adam's family rules like <laughs> Spooky is <laughs> is happy or you know whatever. <laughs> it is weird to think about. Like, why would the devil want to torture you if he yeah, wants be you like, to just like you're my homie? <laughs> yeah, burn in hell with him. You're also bad too. Cool man. Let's have a cigar. Uh, uh, there's lots of cigars in hell. I feel and lots of blow. I imagine there's a ton of blow. Yeah, <laughs> like snowing constantly. But it, it's it's only the fucking. It's only like the after effects of your body feeling like it got fucking wrung out. <laughs> it's like you're coming down off of it. Yeah, it's just, just like, it's just the downer from cocaine. Uh, <laughs> so, anyways, no matter um, how much I do, I never feel any different. Let's talk this a little bit about before we go. Let's talk a little bit about a uh, this the lost. We got a little more info on this lost loves about <laughs> Judy Davis and <laughs> Becky Terry, dude. 
Judy Davis was the little girl with uh, polio, and then the only girl who would be her friend was Becky Terry, and they fucking uh, Eiffel Towered that boy and just fucking... <laughs> Uh, they shared a boyfriend. And, no, just kidding. They, they were really. I full the boy. Yeah. <laughs> they were. <laughs> they were really good friends, and um, one of them moved away like suddenly. And uh, Judy, Judy, the girl with polio, wanted to like contact her best friend growing up because she was a good <laughs> girl that was nice to her, and. Um, and then there, like the the boy was her boyfriend at once at, at one time, and then uh, Becky's boyfriend another time. And um, the reenactment was fucking adorable. I mean, the reenactment, sorry, the reunite, the the the, the filming reunion, of them the get, getting together, was, yeah, the reunion. Yeah, it was nice. Um, the the cameras were there to see her literally like burst out of the car and run towards her and say hi to her friend she hasn't seen in years. It's really cute. And then they call the boy, and the boy... <laughs> I'll bet you never guess who this is. Uh, no. Judy Davis. Judy, oh my God. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> How are you? I'm just fine. Becky and I are sitting here having our reunion for the... Is that right? Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I can't believe this. This is the two girls that taught me how to kiss. <laughs> oh, darn. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Now the circle was at last complete. <laughs> and Robert Stack even says it in his narration. That he's like, he's like, Bill, I forget his name. Bill met the two girls that taught him how to kiss once again or whatever. <laughs> that's that's so the one we did with Dad Derwin where he kept saying, he kept talking about handies under the tree. <laughs> Just like Jesus Christ, <laughs> fucking stupid. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that, that that was a little bit. It was like a part two to that update because when they originally showed the case, they just said like, yeah, they reunited. And yeah, they reunited. No, don't talk of the boyfriend. Yeah, we got to see it this time. But no, I think because we had Derwin on that episode and he was telling us he was like, oh, it's like, yeah, they see, show did it you later. See this part and did you see, we're like, no, what? You see that <laughs> no, part? what? He's like, oh, they must show it later, Mister. Yeah. I, I got a, I got the. The deepest archive of yeah, he has the he has of, the fucking uh, tapes. unsolved mysteries. <laughs> he has the tapes. catalog in his head. <laughs> he does. That's so funny. On the last episode, he was like, "Oh man, I was so drunk." I was like, "No, it's, it was perfect." Like, <laughs> I still haven't heard it. I'm just glad. Oh, I'm so glad you guys got to do that. That's exactly what we wanted. Boring shit. Um, <laughs> he had some pretty. He had some funny shit about the the biker guy. He was like, dude, his missing poster looks like the sickest punk show flyer. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a black flag show. The, the biker dude, Tom Roach, I think. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, this was fun. It's been a while since we've all three been together. Yeah. Um, Dan's still on the road. Apologize for his uh, his loud audio. He's Shit. In a, he's in a hotel. Or shitty quality. Still working on it. We need yeah. to get boxes. We need to get like, a little like studio box. Have you seen them? Max. 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 <laughs> a little box. Um, yeah, thanks for hanging out with us, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, for every mystery, there's someone somewhere who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is listening. And perhaps that someone is you. Good night. God bless. And... Uh,